Before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster, which is a podcaster's best friend. Trust me when I tell you this, Zencaster is like the Shopify for podcasters. It's all you need to get up and running as a podcaster. And the best thing about Zencaster is that you get so much stuff for free. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link, zen.ai slash founder thesis. That's zen.ai slash founder thesis. Hi, everyone. Good morning. My name is Anand Kumar. I'm uh, a co-founder and CEO of Bugworks Research, a company based out of Bangalore, the US and Adelaide, Australia, working on next generation antibiotics. It's good to meet all of you. इंटेलेक्चुअल <laughs> <laughs> Today our guest is one such intellectual giant a chennai boy who went to the us for higher education and ended up running global chip design companies in the us and then in india anand anand kumar is the son of a renowned doctor who ended up choosing engineering instead of medical as a way to make his own mark but fate brought life full circle for him as he ended up getting into the field of medicine as an entrepreneur after a personal medical emergency made him question his priorities he ended up founding not one but two health tech companies each of which is pursuing deeply complicated problems with the potential for impact at scale here's anand telling akshay that about the journey of building his two startups cellworks which is focused on cancer therapy and bugworks which is working to protect us from a bacterial pandemic very tough journey right because you you're doing so well the semiconductor industry is booming i was one of the co-founders of the indian semiconductor association so that's starting to happen right all these companies coming right intel broadcom uh, qualcomm all these top chip design companies they are our customers that we are serving and then i got together with a bunch of guys from the bay area who are my neighbors in bangalore and we decided to put this company together cellworks cellworks is still running a company and actually we thought we can use mathematical modeling to simulate biology so that's the bleed over bleed over from engineering physics mathematic modeling to doing chips to saying can i use the same thing to study biology that's how i got into this space it was very tough uh, i think my wife supported me the most because she realized she's going to give up a huge paying job for pretty much on nothing my kids were really scared because they saw dad moving from five star hotels to cafe coffee day for my meetings uh, yeah, or to darshini for 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 uh, things and even my parents were very upset that I was doing this shift but i tell you what when you make the shift for the right reason you make it you make it you make that shift count right i told myself let's do something in healthcare let's use all of this mathematics and engineering to create something in india that can help the world in cancer therapeutics in personalized cancer therapeutics uh, and when you have such an overarching goal that you want to do something to humanity all these other things are just minor distractions they, you know they they don't come into the center play the, the main main play because you pretty much realize that you have such a big mission and early investors believed in that in that madness in that energy they saw in the founding team to say oh wow you guys are going to use chip design techniques 
to stop cancer biology? Uh, are you, what are you smoking? But then they believe that this bunch of guys is trying to do, uh, and, and a, a bunch of scientists and engineers are trying to do something good for humanity. And we can't let those people down, right? So it's like you have to satiate the needs of all your stakeholders. So it wasn't an easy, easy move over, but anybody who wants to do a startup with an overarching goal of giving back to society, either through medicine or through education or through agriculture or through environment, it is that overarching purpose that drives and then everything else falls on the wayside. Okay. So uh, I want to like uh, go into the weeds. Uh, what was the traditional cancer therapies around which you were not yeah. satisfied with and wanted to build something better? What was that better thing that you built in cancer therapies as compared right. to traditional approaches? As, as we are learning now, um, Shay, cancer is a disease that is very personalized. Every patient's cancer is so different. That is why cancer is a booming industry because the variation, right? The het it's heterologous, it's not homologous, heterologous. And we started seeing in late uh, 2007, 8, that cancer therapy outcomes were very poor. 5%, 6%, 8%, 10%, right? Whether it's breast cancer or prostate or liver, some like pancreatic, the outcomes are even worse. The fundamental reason why the outcome is not good is because each person's cancer is defined by a signature that's different from person to person. And we said, wait a minute, what if I could somehow come up with a mathematical expression to model the cancer biology and on a computer be able to customize every patient? Therefore, the therapy used by the oncologist for her patients, for her or his patients, can potentially be very bespoke, can be very customized. It's called directed therapy or personalized therapy. That is the change that companies, not just us, there are several other companies that are trying to do it, but we were the band of those early companies that uses systems biology to be able to bring genomic signature into cancer therapy so there can be customization. And we're still working 14 years into starting the company. We are still curating models, still running clinical trials in the United States to prove that prediction works. That's the journey of science companies is 15 to 20 years. It's never done deal. I wish we could say we're done and, you know, dusted, but still work in progress because so much new gene information, protein, protein information are coming in and we have to harness all of that information, build these models, work with the oncologists who say, wow, your prediction was better than their, their analysis on the patient. So that's, that's where, that's what we are coming into. And CellWorks is, if you do a Google search on CellWorks, you'd see we have more than 250 papers and we have pretty much revolutionized the use of systems biology to customize treatment for hard to treat cancers. But you're not, we are not a drug discovery company. We are more a platform company that aids the oncologist in her selection of drugs to solve her patient's problem. Okay. So uh, kind of like uh, recapping what I understand, um, cancer treatment is radiotherapy, chemotherapy, a mix of these, as far as I know, like I, I'm, my grandmother had breast cancer when I was just oh. a kid. So I'm talking of 20 years back, what I came to know. Um, and uh, this combination of radiotherapy, chemotherapy needs to be personalized uh, to the patient. It, it cannot be a one size fits all approach. And so what CellWorks did was it 
looked at certain data points about a patient to recommend the optimum mix of treatments. You almost got it right. So it's not just radiotherapy, chemotherapy. There are, lo- are lots of molecule, uh, molecules as well, medicines, molecularly target therapies that are targeting particular targets. Chemotherapy is like a nuclear weapon, right? It goes in and takes out the cancer and takes out many things along with it, which is why people become so sick, lose their hair, lose weight and everything because it takes anything that is fast dividing cells, right? Molecularly targeted therapies have less side effects, but more expensive and they're targeting particular targets. We figured out by bringing this massive genomic information in, when you do a biopsy of a patient, you get the genomic signature. Can we use the genomic signature to make the right predictions? This is before artificial intelligence and machine learning. So we had to actually stitch the Google traffic map of cancer using the biochemistry. So we took a whole bunch of biochemists and mathematicians and computer scientists and combined them together in cell works to stitch the Google traffic map of cancer, the actual biochemical pathways. And then you customize those pathways using the genetic biopsy data. So your red map is the same, but on some day you wake up and say, these two roads are closed. What happens to the traffic pattern? Some other day, three new roads are open. What happens to the traffic map, right? It's like that. Basic traffic maps are the same, but you customize the patient data and and therefore have an ability to study the cancer in new ways that were never done before. So you almost got it right. Okay. So... uh... What is this biological pathway that a cancer takes, which you just referred to, that you you were able to map out? What does that mean, biological pathway? Sure. So, whatever biochemistry, cancer pathways, cancer biology has been mapped out, we didn't invent it. It's scientists over the last 30 to 40 years have been studying and publishing papers that says this breast cancer, there are, you know, 40, 50 pathways inside the body biochemical pathways that come together, something went wrong and it created a cancer. We took all of this published data out of proteomics, genomics, metabolomics, anything with omics study and created the mathematical platform that could stitch these traffic maps. So when I say pathway, these are the traffic maps. So if you open up a single cell or you open up a cancer cell, there are many other pathways that are coming together to create that to create a particular end effect and something so like a pathway is like a chain of reaction chemical of reactions things, right? inside it's the body in which exactly it's, it's biological pathways and if you look at that it's, it's like opening up a complicated traffic map of a massive city like los angeles right and every morning you wake up in la somebody shows a huge map showing hundreds and thousands and thousands of small streets with traffic maps and and live traffic data that is the traffic map. So you have the biochemistry of the pathways. And then you put the customized thing and the pathway network changes from patient A to B to C. Hmm. So it's hmm. phenomenal. So, uh, a pathway will, so like a pathway will show you how that cancer occurred and also and how it is going to spread. How is it going to spread? And a pathway basically is how normally things need to work. And then when you block when you block something in that pathway, something else happens. The pathway study also tells you why a particular drug is not working for this patient. So if you have a pathway, that needs to be like this. And then there's a side street that comes off. Then you know that the traffic can take two routes. 
out those studies and then you can figure out that even once you put your gen genetic signature on it the genetic signature is like saying block off this road open this road so your roads your roads are slightly different than my roads we are in the same city but the roads that you are taking are slightly different than the roads i am taking therefore how a drug works for patient b is different for how it works for patient a it is studying the interplay of genetic markers and all of this cancer pathways that study is impossible to do in a laboratory because of hundreds and thousands of pathways but it's fantastic to do it computationally so we are one of the first people that did it with cell works Mm, got it. Got it. Okay. And how many data points of the patient do you input into the model to for it oh, to throw out? Uh... Like I said, it's been fourteen years in the making. On an average, hundred people per year. So you can tell you for thousand four five thousand five hundred man years of curation work is still going on. Hundreds and thousands of cancer biology papers are the inputs into this platform, and it's tens of thousands of data points. Tens of thousands of data points. So complex. and we still not where we need to be ultimately we want go to go to a thing that cancer patient walks into a, a oncologist office oncologist say show me a biopsy data right you have a cancer you take the biopsy data enter the just cut and paste that biopsy data into a network the network runs a simulation in 5 minutes while the patient is waiting and says for this patient with prostate cancer for this type of prostate cancer with this type of genetic background don't use standard of care use drug b oncologist clicks on drug b to say why drug b i never thought drug b would work and then we open up a traffic map that says if you use drug b it can come in like this and clean up the traffic if you use drug a it will come and get stuck here it's got a pothole it's not going to get through that road it's got a pothole drug a is going to get through it and then the oncologist says go try drug a that is the society we want to get in very bespoke no other disease offers this kind of customization because no other disease is so much dependent upon our genetic markers mm 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 so for giving this recommendation you would need like a uh, uh, the patient's genome what what, what does that mean a genome typically biopsy you know you know when they a patient has a cancer the doctor does a biopsy to study the nature of the the tumor to know which kind of cancer what stage of cancer you are in whether it's fast spreading uh, you know what stage it is uh, etc before they come up with the right medicine for that all we need is that genomic sequence that comes of from the, the cancer biopsy. or of the patient of the cancer of the tumor of the cancer okay 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 uh, and do you also need like the patient's dna and stuff like that as part of we the... get it anyway as part of when you're doing the biopsy and you get the whole sequencing There's enough data coming from the sequencing to run platforms like ours, because everything that matters to this cancer is captured in the signature that comes from biopsy. Hmm. 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 Got it. Got it. Okay. So, and, and when you started, this was like pre-machine learning era. So you would have probably needed to hard-code algorithms instead of <laughs> just feeding it tons of data and letting it predict on its own. Very smart question. Very smart question. Yes. And remember, folks like me who came through the eighties and nineties, we did machine learning and artificial intelligence in the eighties and nineties. Just that we didn't have the horsepower to execute many of the neural networks and wavelet transforms and all the good stuff that we studied. Uh, now we have it. So with cell works, we struggled. We had to 
build some own hardware, then we move to GPUs. And now, a lot of Cellworks' work, not a lot, but a significant minority of Cellworks' work is moving to artificial intelligence and machine learning. We haven't seen AI perform anywhere close to actual hardcore biochemistry because it's the full pathways. It's the actual pathways that are sending signals here and there and cross-coupling and all this stuff. We haven't seen artificial intelligence perform anywhere close to that. But, you know, the way technology is moving, we will be proven wrong. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so, like, how did you get this off the ground? Uh, because this needs a lot of domain experts and it needs money to pay their salaries. Uh, how, how did you get it off from an idea to an execution? Yeah, very fortunate that our co-founders, uh, three were my neighbors here and one was sitting in the Bay Area. So we got together. All of us had come from chip design background. And one of the co-founders had finished a postdoc from Stanford. Really, really bright. Uh, so we started creating that first traffic map right from there. Uh, a lot of the money initially came from the, the founders. And then people started believing, saying, hey, this looks like a dream that's worth betting on. And we started taking money from angel investors. So the first two rounds were from angel investors. But when did you had, do those first two rounds? Like from a two, timeline? 2007, 2008 uh, is when we did the angel rounds. Uh, and uh, we're hoping to give them a payout at, at least now, this year or next year. It's taken such a long time. Uh, but many of them put money in because they have beliefs that we are trying to revolutionize cancer treatment and make better outcomes. Why are we doing this? So that the outcome rate can go from X to 2X or at least X plus 50%, right? Or whatever. So initial money came only from angel investors in the Bay Area and Bangalore. And then Artiman, Artiman, uh, venture capital out of the Bay Area were the first official investors in us in 2008, I believe. And then Sequoia, who was one of the top investors in the Bay Area, also became an investor in our company. Yeah, okay. So it's uh, already much, Sequoia and Phil. How much yeah, did they, like, how much did you raise? To date, I believe in Cellworks, because remember, my current story is Bugworks, not Cellworks. But in Cellworks to date, we have probably raised, I would think, about $30 million. Hmm. Okay. Uh, how much, and, like, in those early rounds, like Sequoia and Artiman, what, what was? Artiman is probably is the is the majority holder of holder of the company. So, probably through angel investments, we would have raised four million, and the remaining twenty five plus million has come between Artiman, Sequoia, and a few other companies. So, I would say between Artiman and Sequoia itself would be close to twenty million. Okay, okay. And when did you start commercializing it, like Cellworks? Has it got reached commercialization it's, it's, stage? It's quasi, it's quasi uh, commercialized because you have to run so many clinical trials and these takes years and years and years. But the early commercialization, I would say, started in 22, 2017, 2018. But we started selling platform services. That means somebody pays to avail of it's like a software, like a solution, like a SaaS. Yeah, like a SaaS, says, right. Oh, I have a, a patient. I have the biopsy information. Can I run your platform? Can I uh, can I put this biopsy information in this platform and, and run it? So it started as a platform services. And now we have moved to where we are working with pharmaceutical companies that are using this platform to figure out which patient population suits their drug the best. Because they're spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars doing clinical trials. 
but clinical trials only works on a small subset of patients, correct? In cancer particularly, that have the correct match of uh, genetic markers that match the treatment. The rest genomes, the rest fails. So what if we can work with these guys to identify very early which is the patient population to go after instead of spending $400 million and covering 500 patients, can I spend a fraction and go after just 100 patients with a higher probability of success? It's never guaranteed, but a higher probability of success. So we're working with pharma companies that pay a services dollars to help them reduce the burden of clinical transaction. So that's CellWorks. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. Okay. Okay. And what is the revenue split between these two lines? Like you have this one line of clinical trial and the second line of uh, platform? It's like 70-30, 70s platform and 30s towards his pharma. But very quickly, I think it's going to become older to where there would be more uh, more traction coming out of pharma. Fair to say that at steady state, we will have three revenue lines. One revenue line is a platform services used by oncologists to customize treatment. Two is Pharmaceutical companies using this platform to reduce clinical trial costs, better outcomes for patients. And three is, CellWorks also does combination drugs discovery. That means taking existing drugs and saying for lung cancer, I can mix these two drugs and get a much better outcome. Existing drugs, not novel drugs, existing drugs. So I think it will split across these three. But right now, we are trying to move towards a 50-50 platform and pharma. How will the combination business be monetized? Like like you discover a combination of drugs that works? Yeah. Very, very smart question. In countries like India, it's very hard to monetize if we take two existing drugs and put them together. But in the US, Europe, etc. is something called method of use. If you figured out that I could take a sugar drug and a mental illness drug, a psychiatric drug, but I come back with them and they seem to do something for lung cancer, that's totally non-obvious. You can monetize it. Those countries are willing to pay as insurance companies like to pay for such uh, drugs. You can't make big money like a novel molecule because these are generic drugs. But there is still a business to be made, not in India, in that model. Like an insurance company would pay to uh, acquire this information and spread it to their hospital exactly. networks who are treating so patients. Exactly. Yeah. So instead of spending $100,000 on a novel molecule that has a 20% probability it will help your patient, you're spending $100,000. Even if it's $20,000 for a generic product that, which has improved the chance of success and for that you need to show proof, obviously clinical proof. Uh, you know, insurance companies. It's very interesting that you asked that question. Very brilliant observation. Our latest funder in CellWorks is an insurance company, United Healthcare, because they're spending billions, tens of billions of dollars on onco treatments that are so expensive with very poor outcomes. What if they can improve those outcomes by even 20%? That will save them 10 billion. Right? So our insurance companies have picked up platforms to reduce 
burn out for them. So that if they're putting $100, they want a good chance that $100 will work for that patient. Mm, got it. Okay. I would have thought the platform for oncologists would be the biggest because that sounds mass market. No, there are maybe, you know, yes. hundreds of thousands of oncologists all over the world. Slow to adopt because they want to do plenty and plenty of clinical trials. And in unlike infection and other areas, in oncology, each tumor has got sub-segments. So the clinical trial space is massive and complicated. So uh, uh, because the oncologists want to make sure that this goes through FDA approval because, you know, hey, it's all driven by legal frameworks in those countries, right? And uh, But they are early adopters. Indian oncologists will adopt it once U.S. oncologists adopt it. Uh, and U.S. oncologists want to make sure that when they say, I trust this platform, it's as bulletproof as possible because they're putting their name on the line, right? So it's going through all of, it's going through all of that massive clinical validation in the top institutions of the world. Right now it's being used. Hmm. For, for an oncologist, it doesn't uh, affect his bottom line as much as it affects for a pharma company. Therefore, those are like first One would imagine, or, or an insurance company in the West that pays $100,000 per patient per year. Huge money, right? So, Got it. Okay. So tell me the journey from, uh, ah. you know, like, like what made you want to move on and start Bugworks? Right. So I'm still associated with Cellworks. I'm a shareholder and I'm on the board in India. But back in 2013 and 2012, while I was in Cellworks, started looking at infection and I was worried about a different type of pandemic. Not a viral pandemic, but bacterial pandemic started seeing that too many people were dying because they go to hospital for a surgery and then pick up infection in the ICU, right? And even you would have heard of this saying, hey, everything went well, man, but they picked up infection. Oh my God, and it's taking weeks to clear or they pass away, right? Started seeing that lakhs of, lakhs of people in countries like India are dying every year, going into hospitals. Babies are dying when they're born less than 21 days because the baby's born in a, in a dirty hospital she picks up the bug and she doesn't have enough of her immune system to fight the bug, right, uh, Akshay? Um, kept looking at it. And I convinced Cellworks that we should look at tuberculosis. Hey, can we use the same mathematical model to simulate TB like with simulating human cancer? Obviously, Cellworks said, you're mad. There is no money in TB. It's a poor man's disease. Plus, we are a cancer company. What are you talking about? So I said, no, let's do it. So I started collaborating with AstraZeneca, which is one of the famous pharmaceutical companies, AZ, AstraZeneca, who had a presence in Bangalore, right? This is in 2010, 11, 12, 13. And we came together. And you won't believe it. We were simulating TB and coming out with new combinations for TB. AstraZeneca was doing the testing on TB in an animal model, etc. And we got funded by the Wellcome Trust. Huge grant funding, a million pounds. We got funded. What by the is Wellcome the Wellcome Trust? Trust? Wellcome Trust is the world's most famous science foundation based out of London. Uh, before Bill and Melinda Gates, they were the largest foundation to fund science and the most prestigious. Comes from, uh, from Wellcome, the Wellcome Foundation, uh, uh, which funds areas that nobody else will touch. Areas like infection don't have enough investors. Like it's funded through. Mm, yeah, or malaria. Like, like, 
yeah, money, the TV, any of the poor, exactly, right? Which is why we are in the situation we are with COVID because we don't have early preparedness to keep an antiviral or an antibacterial or an antifungal ready. So when the bad day comes, we're prepared. Because we say a bad day won't come. Much more money in diabetes, much more money in hypertension, much more money in depression. Why waste your time about infection? When it comes, we take care. And that's why we are here. So with all of this going on, um, that was a very successful project. How we brought modeling and AstraZeneca together. And it took me a year and then we convinced my management. So, one one quick question on, on, yes. on that product. Uh, so essentially it was like the same approach where you would need to get some genomic information about the TB no. of a patient no. and then give a customized solution? Very different. The mathematical modeling approach is the same. But the translation is very different. What we did in TB, Chase, we actually mapped out the the traffic map of the bacteria. Of the bacteria. Just like we mapped human cancer biology pathways, we mapped the pathways for the organism, TB, which is, is, is millions of years old. And then we put the drugs on it and simulate. Because in TB, you need four drugs for therapy, A, B, C, D. It's a, it's a combination of four, right? Four, quad, quad combination. So very complicated. There are about 27 drugs and you have to use 27 drugs in combination of four. So you can imagine the computation space. 27 and within 27, you come out with four, 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 four. And within each of those four, the drug concentration is different. So the permutations and combinations are mind-boggling. Right? Yeah, millions Probably of Millions, exactly. We simulated those millions of options in CellWorks. Picked up the top 10 that said, oh, this four top 10 look very interesting combinations. AstraZeneca tested it and we published it. We couldn't take it forward as a product because there's zero money in TB, right? West doesn't care about TB and you can't monetize it. And, and but this would be a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, because genomics are not playing in, in thing yet. Because in infection, when you come out with the vaccine, it's for all of us. If you come out with an antibiotic, it's for all of us, right? So it's like that. A day will come, a day will come when the antibiotic you use may be slightly different than me, but we are not anywhere close to the day. By the way, that day will come when we study microbiome, where your gut, the signature of your gut is different than the signature of my gut. And we will pick and choose the right antiviral and anti bacteria based on how your gut looks like versus how my gut looks like. Just like genomics revolutionized cancer therapy, microbiome, study of our stomach bacteria, bugs in our gut, will revolutionize every medical field. Not today, but in about 15 years from today. So, so we spun out Bugworks from Cellworks and said, Akshay, we're going to come out with a new antibiotic. Because I saw, we saw people are dying. No new antibiotics since the 1960s. 1960s. Because it's all generics. No new class of antibiotics. We said bloody but one, uh, Sorry, one quick question here. Uh, can you give me a quick uh, hi historical perspective of antibiotics? I know about yes. penicillin, which I studied in yeah. school. Like penicillin is Very the good. first Mark. antibiotic. Yeah. Like just for setting some context, what's been the development right. since penicillin? Top 10 innovations ever done in humanity. Antibiotics is one of them. Yesterday, a result, uh, I just read it this yesterday. 
along with the steam engine and paper comes antibiotics, right? It's so important. Before antibiotics, average human life was 26 years old. Our forefathers were dying, even in the West, even doing gardening. So you get a small scrape from a, a rose uh, uh, thorn, can become infected, game over. In India, even post-independence, we were dying in our 20s and 30s, mainly because of infection. If you go talk to your grandmother or grandfather, they'd say we have six kids out of that one kid died when she or he was two or three. Diarrheal infection or pneumonia because without antibiotics, you're dead. The most important innovation of the 20th century is Alexander Fleming's penicillin, which he found accidentally. And once it became a real drug, World War II, 1940s, it changed the world age. One innovation changed the world age from 20s to 40s. Right? And, I, and then... The rest is history. And then there's been hardly seven to eight classes of antibiotics that have been invented ever since penicillin. Because the antibiotics last for 30 years and then drug resistance picks up, you, you, you whack it. So, all of this was going on and the golden age is 1960s, where lots of 50s and 60s, lots of the antibiotics that you and I and our family use today came from the 1950s, 60s and then plus, plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four modifications of of generations uh, for that. But because the last 20 to 30 years we've abused antibiotics as societies, overused it, use it in our milk, use it in our food, we overuse it everywhere. And as we know innovation in antibiotics, Akshay, we are in a perfect storm. Your enemy knows all your weapons. Your weapons have therefore become weaker and you have not invested in weapons. That is the antibiotic situation. And in countries like India, where the last most important antibiotics are used as soon as you walk into the hospital because nothing else works, we have lost ammunition. So the drug resistance rates can be 50, 60, 70%. In, that means when you say drug resistance, if 100 people are infected with a particular bacteria, 50 of them will not be cured with the existing, with the first line antibiotics. That's a 50% drug resistance rate. Then you have to go for the highest antibiotic, which is supposed to be used only for a rainy day. The rainy day is already here. And we're having plenty of rainy days. And what you thought you can only use for the worst enemy, you've started using regularly. So you're left with very few bullets, right? And the big pharmaceutical company doesn't want to work in the space, actually. This is the super bug. When bacteria or viruses acquire resistance, that makes them shield existing therapies. They are called superbugs. I started working on bacterial superbugs. SARS-CoV-2 is a viral superbug. A virus superbug has this dramatic rise and fall, like we are seeing with Delta, Omicron, and all that. A bacterial superbug pandemic is a slow boil. It's like fast cooking versus slow cooking, where you don't think of it as a pandemic, but it's slowly killing people every day. Just so that your listeners know, every year we lose probably close to 3 to 4 lakh people in India. 3 to 4 lakh year, year and increase of which 100,000 are babies less than the age of 21 who die of neonatal sepsis, bloodstream infection before the age of 21 days. We said nobody's going to fix it. West doesn't care about it because the science is hard, the money is not, is questionable. Can we build a company that can create the first novel broad-spectrum antibiotic that the world has not seen in 50 years? That audacious goal 
is bugworks what is the way in which a next generation antibiotic gets created traditionally and how is bugworks doing it differently so like you told me 60s 70s was the golden age where new right. generation antibiotics got created how were they created how were they an improvement over penicillin uh, and then you right. could follow this up by how is bugworks doing the same process of right. creating the next generation sure very smart question try to keep it as simple as possible so we can uh, you know uh, so uh it's palatable to all so the 50 60s etc golden age they went after targets because at the end of the day how do you kill a bacteria or a virus you have to understand a target and then you have to figure out a drug that can go in and hit the target and kill the bacteria it's called an essential target essential to life but it's also got non essential targets that means even if you knock those off the bacteria knows how to live because they have been there for billions and billions of years before humans came here so the adaptability the evolutionary intelligence of viruses and bacteria and fungi is a million years ahead of us yeah 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 it's, right. it's just because they've been the well before us right and so they evolve 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 and one of the big problems with environmental warming up and us losing all the ice in the polar cap is there are many frozen bacteria and viruses that are getting released into water streams because these things are melting right it's scary just for your listeners to know that superbugs are very intimately connected with environment you get warmer old purana ice melts things that were up for tens of tens of hundreds of millions of years get released into water streams we don't even recognize those things is it amazing that how environment and all of this is connected but you have question and the, these superbugs are superbugs because we don't have immunity to them whereas existing it, it, bacteria it, it, we have some immunity exactly right just like with sars-cov-2 you and i and all of us are worried about sars-cov-2 because there were no antibodies in our body therefore we took a vaccine to create those antibodies once you get exposed to sars-cov-2 even new variants by and large your body says ah oh, i think this thing is related to that enemy let me take him out when something gets released from arctic or antarctic that we don't even have in our textbooks who the hell knows what's going on right so using targets of bacteria and then putting millions of compounds and trying to see which of my compounds hits the target was how drug discovery was done that failed and is too expensive so 70s 80s now people abandoned that in infectives in anti infection because they say hey, generics are doing a good job i think these antibiotics of old purana antibiotics will last us forever why put money into antibiotics because remember you take antibiotics only for 5 days and then you never take the antibody whereas if i am a blood pressure patient i take it for life if i am a if i am an insulin dependent person i take it for life so pharmaceutical company likes a customer who comes for life as opposed to somebody who takes an antibody 5 days then not that would put also put pressure on keeping it. price low exactly keep the price low plus akshay when my new drug comes i don't want you to use i want you to keep it in lock and key so when the bad patient comes that one day where none of the existing antibiotics are working you open the safe and take my jewel and use it great value to society but very low revenue you see so pharmaceutical companies said boss forget it we're not going to do it 
So we also, when we started bug works, we cannot just go back to those old screening techniques and say, give me target, give me the targets I will just throw. That didn't work. So we used very intelligent modeling and simulation. And we went after a very interesting concept called efflux. E-F-F-L-U-X, efflux. Efflux are the pumps inside the bacteria that kick out antibodies. They're like the bounce in a bar. Efflux pump, E-F-F-L-U-X, efflux. These pumps are very intelligent inside the uh, 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 pump, right? Inside the bacteria. Antibody comes in. What does resistance mean? The bacteria knows how to break that antibody, right? Typically, it changes the target itself. So you're going to say, I'm going to hit the bullseye, but the bullseye moved away and you're still hitting the same way. You lost the bullseye. Or this pump is so smart that it turns on as soon as the antibiotic comes in and kicks the antibiotic out of the pipe. So we did a lot of modeling and simulation of this pump and came up with new compounds, new chemistry that are sort of invisible to the pump. That's the key area of work of Bugworks is can you come up with new chemicals, new molecules designed from Bangalore for the world that enter the bacteria, number one. Two, hit the bacteria in a new target because you can't go to old Purana targets because those are already changed. Find a new, new dartboard. Basically, create a new dartboard with a new target. And three, can you avoid the pump? Who's a security, security guard? So, because you want to be invisible, so the security guard is. So, what are the three complexities? Entering the bacteria is super hard. But we are not the first people to, to break that. So we use a lot of rules from before. Two, we're looking for new targets in the bacteria. And actually for us, the targets we hit in, in the bacteria are common across most bacteria. That's why we became broad spectrum. Because if we hit a target very specific only to a pneumonia bug, then it may not work for urinary tract bug. Whereas if the target is the basic essential life target, then you cover many bacteria and you become a broad spectrum. So, right? uh, and the last point understand. is we avoided yes. the pump. Go ahead. Hmm. Hmm. Like, help me understand what is uh, what is this what is this target that you want to hit from a medical perspective? How, how does an antibacterial make a bacteria cell die? What is that target? Excellent. It is typically there are only handful of ways, right? You go in and hit the cell wall, right? You hit the cell wall and puncture it. That's one way. Okay. Or okay. You, Once you, you puncture it, then that cell dies. Everything is gone. The cell can't divide. It is gone. One is you go and weaken the cell wall that the cell wall loses some of its capabilities. And because of that, it becomes very wonky. Next, you go inside and hit a target that is essential to the life of the bacteria. Such as you hit the target that produces its food you hit the target, which is protein synthesis, or you hit the target that is a very DNA replication missionary, right? So there are some handful of targets that you hit. And basically, you have to prevent the bacteria from dividing. Even if you don't kill it, you prevent the bacteria from multiplying. And then whatever is there will die off, even if you don't kill it. Or you kill it aggressively. We have taken the killing approach. Okay, that we go in and boom, just hit it and kill it. 
What we did, we have hit a target that impacts the DNA replication. The we prevent the bacteria from replicating it. So we went in and you know how the DNA has got dual strand, DNA is there. We prevented that strand from looking like a strand so that it can allow for the multiplication in the next generation to happen. And humans, humans need 25, 30 years before you produce an offspring. Bacteria is multiplying in 30 minutes. That's why somebody who gets a bacterial infection quickly develops fever and can die. So we, as BugWorks, are proud to state that we are hitting the DNA, DNA engine of the bacteria and preventing it from replicating and we kill it. We actually kill it. So that's been a very powerful target and this target is available across many bacteria. Hmm. Uh, you you do both like prevent replication and also kill uh, or yes uh, we are doing what we are called so. bactericidal actually one leads to the other in our case we go in and interfere with the ability to the, for the organism to reproduce and therefore it has to die a natural death yes because their lifespan would be again it's like gone, right? if they can't replicate if yeah. there's no DNA replication engine possible boom they're gone right 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 okay okay and uh, how do you uh, uh, how do you arm your molecule with the stealth technology L like essentially that, that I, is like... Patented, that's a patented methodology that we use we have a phenomenal medicine chemistry group uh, he's a genius medicine chemist who figured out new rules of chemistry never done before that prevent the pump from recognizing that an antibiotic is coming and once we published it, it looked like very simple stuff. Mo mo most great research is actually very simple once you boil it down. But it's that first aha moment to say, I found something that nobody else did. And uh, Shahul Hamid, our medicinal chemist, is the one who did, who broke this. And yeah, essentially, it's like, a, it's like a camouflaging technology. Exactly like right. It's a camouflaging chemical technology. And it works beautifully so far. Once, if our drug is successful and it comes to man, bacteria will figure out a way to, to break that also. It will figure out new pumps or the pumps will become intelligent and say, oh, I missed that. Now I'm Ushar. Right? Now I'm Ushar. I, I, I understand this. They are far superior to us. But every time you invent something like we are doing, you buy humanity 30 years. And you say, don't worry. Bad cases, I'm there. Time out. Don't worry. You're not going to die. I'm going to save you. And then you keep working. Use your drug very sparingly. Therefore, there's no economics. So that's a separate discussion. But treat it like a medical infrastructure that you use rarely, like a fighter jet that you spend billions of dollars on, but you use it rarely for, for that war, which means we need to figure out how to compensate antibiotics like a fighter jet. That's a discussion that we have with governments. We have no volume, but we have huge value to society because we are medical infrastructure. Uh, you know, we are not insulin. We are not a b b blood pressure drug, but huge value. But huge, we are so excited. If this works, we're going through early clinical trials. You know, we, can, we have a chance to protect the human race against a bacterial pandemic. Mm. Okay. So, uh, uh, like you were telling me that 50% of people who get a bacterial infection don't respond to traditional drugs. So, 
that is because of the person or because of the type of bacteria that they have got both this both related uh, these drug resistance it is when we start taking too many antibiotics right it promotes drug resistance simply because when you take an antibiotic any ba bacteria in your body that is sensitive to that antibiotic will die it's sensitive so it dies the fellows who stay back are resistant right and they sit quietly there no problem sit quietly but when they become rogue when they become rogue and you take the antibiotic the antibiotic doesn't work that's what drug resistance is therefore by any time you take antibiotic it naturally promotes some resistance it's just natural darwinian selection what remains are resistant by darwinian selection what is it survival of the fittest it it came, it comes darwinian that intelligence comes from bacteria right survival of the fittest that is why you and i somehow figured out ways to survive harsh temperatures right because survival of the fittest um res so resistance is developed by the bacteria by, to, by the bacteria to the antibiotics so people who abuse antibiotics have a tendency to have more resistant pathogens in their system and that resistant pathogen gets spread into the environment every time the person passes urine or coughs etc so you are promoting the spread of resistant bacteria the person is not resistant or sensitive to antibiotics it is the bug inside us mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you got it got it but two people could have the same bug and one uh case it could be uh, a resistant bug and in the other person it could be a uh, treatable bug like is that possible or very rare not impossible but very rare uh what can happen is one person's immune system can be better than the other you understand so my natural immunity could be better i may have seen that bug but you didn't see it so my body may naturally have antibodies to fight that that you don't have. because our t cells and b cells and memory cells the same cells that we spoke about in SARS-CoV-2 are constantly working to keep you and me safe mm, okay constantly. and uh, does good bacteria help kill bad bacteria is, is there a benefit yes, is, of good there bacteria there is a very important microbiome signature going on in your stomach and there is some healthy competition going between viruses and bacteria in in in, in the stomach etc so there's a fabulous symbiosis that happens to keep everything in check but dysbiosis can also happen and particularly when people have low immune system coming through surgery or I'm going through chemotherapy or I'm in a hospital environment when your guard is down bacteria gets into you the same bacteria that yesterday couldn't have done anything to you today has become rogue same bacteria right which is why bacteria when a virus comes in including SARS-CoV-2 it weakens your system and allows the bacteria to also get it that's called secondary bacterial infection okay 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 got it, got it so which is why if you abuse antibiotics then it also like would kill your good bacteria and promote the bad bacteria uh, and make them go rogue yes absolutely correct so exactly couldn't agree more Mm, okay got it got it okay so uh, uh, tell me about uh, how like you know how you went about setting it up did you get angel investors in this and 
you know yes. what is the commercialization model for it and yeah very different than selworks uh, again hugely challenging because there are less than four companies in india doing novel drug discovery where you go after a novel compound you're not doing generics or biosimilars novel novel target new mechanism so many new things right takes 10 to 12 years probably half a billion dollars by the time you're done uh, high risk and there is very little precedence so the message and the messenger all have to be at top guard right and have to be really really uh, you know on your toes and that's the type of messaging we did because of fascinating early angel investors including Kiran Mazumdar of Bayako uh friends and family from bay area and bangalore again the featherlight group who are into furniture and real estate in bangalore said hey you're doing something for betterment of society india has changed people have made money through tech and now they want to give back through philanthropy they also want to give back by saying hey maybe i should fund deep science deep tech which 20 years ago they would never have done because it's like oh my god this is let the best solve it it's not my i don't need to solve today india wants to solve the world's problems so there's some early investors who said you know we'll put small amount of money and then our first round of funding we raised through baxter which is a company out of chicago who was visiting bangalore and we met them in in biocon okay how much did you raise from baxter the, okay the first round of funding was two and a half million we raised in 2016 one and a half million from baxter and one million from friends and family then our first round of Series A happened in 2018 with a Japanese investor called University of Tokyo Edge Capital. Japanese. First investment they were doing in an Indian biotech was us. 2020 was the second Japanese investor. And just three months ago, we closed our funding, Series B1 round, for about $19 million, uh, which sounds like big money, but it's not for drug discovery. But from an Indian drug discovery perspective, it's one of the largest fundraising that's done. So to date, we have raised about, including our grants, about $40 million, dollars four zero, of which about 12 to 14 million is free money through grants, competitive grants we have won across the world. And okay. From, from, from foundations, basically. From foundations, uh, like the Welcome Trust, like the United States government that is very worried about superbugs um, and other foundations. We got some early support from the Indian government through grants. And the very incubator that we are sitting in Bangalore is called CCAP, Center for Cellular and Molecular Platform, CCAMP. It's government of India and government of Karnataka fund. So without that kind of government support, well, we couldn't be doing what we do. And the commercialization, you asked a question. Typically in biotech, you crack, you crack the innovation, but you don't know how to do clinical trials because that's more of big, big pharmaceutical companies forte. You crack that early science. And then you take your product up to phase one, which is safety, and then a big pharmaceutical company takes you. But in antibiotics, there are very few big pharmaceutical companies. So we have to figure out our own way of blasting new trails and taking a product to market. So we hope to do phase one, phase two, phase three, launch the product in markets like India that are dying for new antibiotics because of the number of deaths, but partner with pharmaceutical companies for the Western markets like US, Europe, etc. That's our thinking right now. Let's see if a phase one succeeds this year. We'll have many opportunities to 
look at commercialization. Can, can you define what is phase one, phase two, phase three for people so not from the industry? Sure. Yeah. If you want to make drug discovery very simple, the early work that you do in the laboratory is called drug discovery. Then you move to animal work and you start developing your molecule into something that looks like something that is real, that can go to man. That is called preclinical development. You go through guinea pig, you go through dogs, you go through mice, rat, etc. So it's early discovery, preclinical development, and then you go to clinical development. Clinical development is the longest, complex, most expensive thing because you're working with human beings. Phase one means we don't know whether your drug works, but let's make sure that it doesn't cause harm. So phase one, you go to healthy volunteers who are ready to take a shot. They paid healthy volunteers who are promoting science. Just like the vaccine people who put their arm and say, give me the vaccine, I'll be a volunteer before you and I got the vaccine. There are people who are willing to be volunteers to say, I'll try this new antibiotic. It's the first one in 50 years. But it has to be safe. So you have to try it. You start at the, if, if your dose is here, you start here and slowly increase the dose. Same thing they do for our vaccines, right? Before that vaccine dose, a small fraction of the dose they would have given to a human first for safety and then slowly increase up to where you need to be to make sure nothing happens. That is phase one. And then phase two, you go to a real disease like urinary disease or stomach infection or bloodstream infection, or lung infection. And then you choose a small number of patients to show it's still safe in patients and works. That is phase two. Phase three is the expensive global trial where you say it should work on Indians, it should work on Japanese, it should work on Caucasians, it should work on African-Americans. It's not just, you know, for one race. So it's a multi-site. That is phase three. And then you register your product. Complicated very expensive and highly proved to failure. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Phase two is when uh, the, the placebo, uh, like like that A, A B, yes. where group A has actual and group B has placebo, that happens in phase two. two. Placebo happens in phase one also. Any good clinical trial, scientific experiment, experiment needs to have a placebo arm. Right? Just then you know exactly how you are functioning and something didn't happen out of luck. Right? That's the whole thing that something did randomly happen. So here also we have a placebo where somebody doesn't get, just gets water and one person gets our thing. Safe to study safety. Because if that person who got water has a side effect, then it's not because of my drug, right? It could be because the person administering it did something bad with the needle and poked around and caused an issue. It, it is to eliminate that kind of thing that you need a placebo. So it's not because of the active active compound. They're very hmm. interesting, isn't hmm. it? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Right, right. Okay. And the phase three trial where you're testing across the world different kinds of populations, yeah. you need that even if you're just going to launch it in India, you would still need to do phase three? Very good question. Um, yes. At least we are thinking United States and India because US is huge market and need. And uh, we are also U.S. company. Our funding is also from the U.S. And India is, we are emotionally attached to India. This is where many, most people are dying. So we want to launch it here. It is good to have multiple sites when you're going through clinical trials because you learn so much. You know whether it's working across a race, uh, etc. But if we find a partner in India 
Akshay, who says, forget the West. We are losing most people in India. Give us the drug. We want to accelerate it for India. Then India will maybe the first market for this product to launch. Never done before. Typically, you always do it in the West and then re-enter here. Yes. Yes. yes we are yes. thinking of turning this thing on its head, man. Hmm. Hmm. Amazing. Okay. Okay. So, uh, what is the uh, like? Uh, what is the phase at which uh, your uh, drug is at? Uh, are you at clinical trial phase now, or where are you at right now? With great difficulty through COVID, through funding issues and COVID issues, we finally started phase one trial in November in Australia. Australia is very f- world famous to phase one, and. Again, very few little precedents from India that a brand new molecule is first time going through, right? So we are very worried, very nervous. We're optimistic, but highly cautiously optimistic because this thing can change the world if it works. It'll keep humanity safe, right? For 30, 40 years by the time new antibiotics come in, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going through phase one trial in Adelaide, Australia, which I hope will complete by Q2 or latest by Q3, only studying safety and tolerance, tolerability, safety. And is the is the healthy volunteer safe? Is the healthy volunteer able to tolerate repeated doses? That's all we study. We don't know if the stuff works. Only safety. Because remember, do no harm is far more important first than showing that your stuff works. Do no harm. Even with vaccines, what were we worried? We were not sure whether the vaccines are going to stop SARS-CoV-2 from coming to you. But you want to make sure that it didn't cause some DNA damage in you that impacts your life. Right? That's what right. you're worried about. Yeah, yeah. most then people who, who are like vaccine deniers are because they fear those uh, uh, negative effects. Hmm. Exactly, right? And say, I don't want to put my body through it, including Novak. Right? So, if the phase one trial is successful, then we'll plan for a phase two next year. Because, you know, it's an IV. Phase two will likely be India and the US or India and Eastern Europe. Uh, Eastern Europe is world famous for trials. Unfortunately, Ukraine and, and Russia will are out of, out of that reckoning right now because of what's happening. Uh, but India definitely. Unlike other companies in the world working on antibiotics, where India's a later plan. For us, it's part of a plan from day one. Because unmet need is high. We are in India. The drug-resistant patient population is highest in India than anywhere in the world. So we are not doing India a favor. As much as we are saying, this is, the worst battle is here. So test your weapons in the worst battlefield, not in the five-star battlefield. If it works in the worst battlefield, it's a very good chance it's going to work in other battlefields. So that's why we do it. And we want to give back to India via drug discovery and science. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I want to understand these territories, like you said, Australia is famous for phase one, Eastern Europe is famous for phase two. Why Why is that? Is it because there are companies there who have grown yes. big and they do this? Australia is famous because of how uh, finding patient population is very hard in Australia because it's partially populated and they don't have a infection problem like India does. But their processes for phase one are very good. As a country, they said, you know what? Everybody who's got a new drug is always worried about phase one. It's a tough one, toughest phase. Because first time you're putting something into man, you don't know whether it's going to work. Let us focus on phase one. And now they capture that market for phase one. Okay, so they government regulations. Mean, 
enable it. Yeah, everything. That means the physicians, the people running clinical trials, the units, how to monitor the the volunteers while you're going through phase one, etc. They have fantastic protocols. Eastern Europe also does phase one. But if you want to get urinary tract or kidney infection patients, they're plentifully available in Bulgaria and Romania and Hungary, etc. So happens. Eastern Europe, not Western Europe. And you do it there, right? Ultimately, you have to go to the US because you want to get a US FDA chapa. Without that, right, because that is the gold standard, platinum standard. Mm, right, right, right. So, A and why is drug resistance highest in India? Highest is in India for multiple reasons. Traditionally, our sanitation issues are a plenty in hospitals. Right, it comes down to you know hand hygiene, wash, free running water. Sewage mixing with drinking water, variety of reasons. We have large antibiotic manufacturers. Maybe the manufacturing output is making it into the water stream. So every time we drink such water that has traces of antibiotics that can promote drug resistance. And the fact that you and I can walk over to our neighborhood pharmaceutical shop and pick up an antibiotic without a prescription is devastating. Millions and millions, tens of millions are taking antibiotics without prescription. Then what happens after the first two days, you say, I'm feeling fine. Why do I need to spend money after two days and stop? Not knowing that it takes five, six days to kill all the bacteria. What is left behind is going to again become resistant. You have to, you know, so many reasons. And we are working closely with the Indian government to make it very difficult to buy antibiotics over the counter. Treat it like an antidepressant medicine or an antipsychotic medicine, hard to get, only under doctor's prescription. So abuse of antibiotics, use of antibiotics in poultry industry, tamping of antibiotic waste into our water streams, issues with sanitation, hygiene, no innovation. That combination makes India the worst and a density of population. Hmm, hmm, hmm. That... Uh, uh... Giving uh, like cows and hens that antibiotic shots, this is like a global problem, right? Like, I think it's that's a how problem. we don't do it for modern, cows as much as we do it uh, for poultry. Because in the 1960s or 70s, actually, some chap, some scientists in the US did a study and figured out that when chicken were given antibiotics, it makes them fatter faster. So, for the protein industry, which has gone through the roof in the last 20 years, antibiotic use keeps the hen. Uh, and beef healthy so they don't get infection because they're in tight corners. So if one thing gets infection, it spreads overnight. Put all of them on antibiotics, the chance of infection is reduced, right? But then imagine that the, the, the chicken are having so much of antibiotics. Their excreta and their urine is going into the water streams. The people who are working in those industries are coming in touch with those bugs that are getting resistant. That's how the spread happens. In soil, in water. Then when you you handle that meat in your house before you cook it, it, it may still have those bacteria on it. So it's it's mm. it's tricky. Mm. Okay, okay. So uh, by 2024, somewhere around that time frame, you would have gone through clinical trials and be ready to commercialize? No, I wish I wish so. Unfortunately, trials take much longer. Thanks to COVID, there is an acceleration. But if everything goes well, we are looking at a 2025, we are already 22, yeah, 
2025 whether we can launch in India and probably 2026 for a global launch. Okay. And what is the revenue potential of this drug? Like what, what, uh, like, you know, is it like a billion dollar drug or, you know, how, how will it get commercialized? We want to make it affordable and accessible for markets like India and Africa and Southeast Asia. Very simple. Very simple. We did this company to make it affordable, accessible, but not too accessible. That's the scary part of antibiotics. You want it to be, you don't want every nook and corner to have it because then you're finished. You don't develop business. Antibiotic companies are failing because they don't have revenue. You spend so much of money bringing a product outside and there's no volume. So governments are trying to pay a net, what they call a subscription model. That means they say, bug works. Don't worry about selling it. We guarantee you that we're going to buy it. And like Netflix, whether you use it or not, you pay. they figure out how to create a subscription model. But I think the way the world is going, you should be lucky if you could get 200 to $300 million per year. Uh, from a, a new antibiotic in revenue after the first six years of launch. But if we are successful because we are a broad spectrum, Akshay, I'd like to tell your listeners with great humility that we have the opportunity for a billion dollar antibiotic out of purpose. Okay. The opportunity like billion dollar annual revenue. Annual revenue at peak. And it may take five to seven years to reach the peak after launch. Five years to reach that peak. But we are looking, there's no reason why a bug works drug, if it gets to clinical trials, cannot be a billion dollars. Absolutely. Because there's no precedence for this kind of drug. Broad spectrum, IV and oral. So it's available for hospital patients and tablets forms. So, mm -hmm. so like that 200-300 million number which you told me is for narrow spectrum, like something solving. Exactly and because for limited spectrum, because it's not applicable everywhere. Uh, a broad spectrum can straight away replace 20% of the market in India that whose patients are struggling. Carp, they carpet bomb them with so many antibiotics. Here's a single antibiotic. You don't even need to guess what the bacteria is you killed. Right. Okay. Amazing. And okay. we're also looking at a second revenue stream, which is to become solution for bioterrorism. The same antibiotics that can help you against serious hospital infection is working on anthrax, on plague, on very, very bad organisms, which can become bioterrorism situations someday. I hope not. And therefore, we are talking to multiple governments to see if the same solution can become a, a prophylactic solution for bio-defense. So it's very interesting that looking at hospital infections, community infections, and bio-defense. Uh, anthrax is a poison, right? Uh, yes, it's basically anthrax is a is a is a bacteria. It's a bacteria, okay. Bacteria that you is poisonous to human body. That's what I meant. It's not like a toxin. It's a bacteria that is inhaled through spore form, and once it's inhaled, it causes your whole nervous system to come. And and there is it been, infectious? Anthrax. Uh, no, it it can spread very easily. So if if a bioterrorist figures out how to aerosolize it, they can infect a whole bunch of people very quickly. And then a drug like ours can be used to jab people who are coming into a hospital situation to, to keep society safe. So it's a stockpiling, more a defense than a public health mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. situation. Okay.
got it amazing okay 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 and uh, what like you know say 15 20 year timeline what else is on the roadmap for bugworks excellent so one is we hope we can keep every patient everywhere in the world safe against an infection right and we don't want to lose a baby less than 21 days of age because she couldn't be safe it's very clear so we had to be affordable accessible yet you need to figure out how to protect and make money that's on the infection side we want to be the partner of choice for governments for biodefense that a, a, a drug like ours if successful can keep government safe against bioterrorism if and when the day happens now nobody laughs at us when we talk about bioterrorism say ha that's never going to happen because we've seen what happened with the pandemic and some and who knows anything is possible with with microorganisms number 3 we also got into cancer we realized that immuno oncology which is a new cancer area within cancer is offering a lot of scope for good patient outcomes but it's frightfully expensive so we are trying to what innovate is in those areas immuno oncology it, basically it's a new class of oncology that says since you're putting chemotherapy radiotherapy all these things can i figure out how to make your own immune system wake up and the wakefulness of that immune system causes the killing of cancer natural killer cells so natural immune system because the tumor is so smart that it locks up your own immune system it tricks your own immune system into believing that i'm fine i'm one of you i'm not a tumor trust me you can trust me and it locks up your immune system so immuno oncology are drugs that go in and break that lock and release the immune cells to go into the tumor and kill it yeah mm. okay 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 so basically it's, it's, a tumor is essentially just a rogue cell like it's a cell of your body only but which is right, gone rogue during replication yeah. something went wrong right due to genetic or environmental or food or toxins that you ingest something caused dna and your immune system normally says hey i can't recognize that cell that doesn't look like akshay cell or that doesn't look like anand cell i need to take it out but still the tumor is growing because the immune system failed to recognize it and therefore immuno oncology breaks that lock and allows immune cells to get so it's a hot area we just got into about 2 3 years ago looking very good i hope we can also bring affordable immuno oncology drugs to market in so we have these two large goals superbugs antibiotic resistance and immuno oncology that's our goal for the next 10 to 15 years and what is the timeline for the... survive as a as a biotech <laughs> it's always so okay. tough so why we start Mm-hmm. so the our timeline is in 5 years time or not even say 4 to 5 years we launch an antibody that will be a phenomenal breakthrough product for the world for hospital infections community infections and bioterrorism against bioterrorism while you do that you also keep on working on next generation antibiotics because you know that the bacteria will figure out and break it. so we also work on backup assets and in parallel 5 years from today hopefully we can also have an immuno oncology asset on the market against very tough tumors like colorectal cancer lung cancer liver cancer stomach cancer prostate we are looking at this area the hmm. abdominal hmm. and anus hmm. area hmm. okay okay uh, so that's uh, and one. and how big is that drug the immuno oncology drug like is that also well, like that, a billion dollar much bigger than antibiotics okay. uh it 
it can easily be a three, five billion dollar per year type of market. But, but there are 4,000, 4,000 assets going through clinical trials. So you're a small needle in a haystack. The competition is fierce because the unmet need is so high and the market is even better. Whereas in antibiotics, we are considered one of five or one of 10 worst case in the world. That is going to crack. If we crack the problem, we are one in five or one in 10. Market is yeah, so-so, but impact is massive. And there's nobody from India doing what we are doing, right? Oncology, everyone is there because that's the hottest area. Right, right, right. right. Hmm, hmm, hmm. But the market okay. can also potentially soak up a lot of good assets. So, so it's good for us, right? We have one in which we stand out, but market is tough. So, but we're doing it for impact. In the other, we may stand up, not yet today, but we may stand up, but it's fiercely competitive. So, how to position? So, we're using a lot of, we're trying to bring cell works now back into bug works and see whether we can bring modeling and simulation to differentiate our, our oncology product from others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So, uh, you said multiple times uh, about the risk uh, that you are facing over the next two, three years. Uh, talk to me about what kind of risks are there? Like, there is a risk that the drug doesn't risk. work? I think, or, uh, yeah. exactly right. I'm very confident that by the time we are ready with the product, the market conditions for an antibiotic will be filled. Thanks to the pandemic, Governments are waking up to saying, bloody hell, take this very seriously. Don't wait. Tsunami is coming. In, in uh, SARS-CoV-2, we didn't see the tsunami coming. It came and hit us. Right? Whereas with antibiotics and bacteria, we see the tsunami coming. It's a slow tsunami. Right? So we have to be prepared. So I'm sure market conditions are okay. Science is. In antibiotics, phase one is a tough one. Safety. Because it's a one gram. One gram. Right? So if we get through safety, our risk is down in antibiotics. Whereas in oncology, the risk is what works in animal does not work in man. The translation risk. Because you and I are far more complex than an animal. And how cancer works and spreads and grows and gets killed in a human is not accurately reflected in the animal. So the animal models are poor substitutes for human. Whereas in infection, whether it is a mouse or man, you're, both are infected and you're trying to take out a foreigner in both cases. Whereas in immunology and uh, oncology and all that, my God, mouse is a poor substitute for man. But you have to go through the mouse. So science risk in safety is a problem in antibiotic. Science risk in lack of translation is the problem in oncology. Hmm. Got it. Okay. And what will be your distribution strategy? Would you like sell the IP or license the IP to a larger pharma company or would yes. you manufacture it? Biotech. Hmm. Impossible. Small biotechs all over the world, the DNA of such companies is you innovate, innovate, innovate. And then work with somebody who understands go to market, supply chain, manufacturing, distribution, uh, FDA approvals. These are complex areas, but are process oriented. Small companies are good for innovative, crazy things, but not good for process. So things that require chaos, innovation, multidisciplinary thinking, do inside the company. Things that require process, money, global outreach, you partner. So I think both products will only partner. Okay. You're, you're uh, going like BioNTech, Moderna. Exactly, right, right, exactly. So if a, 
if a Pfizer or a CIPLA in India is interested in antibiotics and say, we want to make a difference from India for the world, you partner with them. So you can keep innovating and coming up with the next generation solution. Partners much stronger than you to complete clinical trials and manufacturing knowledge that is, is supremely difficult because it has to be done with the highest standards because it's human, human grade. So partner, partner, partner. Hmm, hmm. So essentially, Bugworks is, is is an IP company. Like your thirty people, artists. forty people hmm. maximum. Hmm. Hire hmm. the best talent from around the world. Bring in modeling, simulation, bring in technology, bring in all the stuff, and do drug discovery in, in new ways. And then find the partner at the right place. You find the partner at preclinical or phase one or phase two. We don't know yet. We're keeping all options open. On we need to make solutions in India for ourselves. We cannot wait for the West to, to come and solve our problems. I think that's a new theme that's coming out. What we proved ourselves in vaccines, we are proving ourselves now in drug discovery as well. That innovation has to come from our own backyard to solve our own. That's all I have to say. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit the podium.in, that is T H E P O D I U M dot I N for a complete list of all our shows. Before we end the episode, I want to share a bit about my journey as a podcaster. I started podcasting in 2020, and in the last two years, I've had the opportunity to interview more than 250 founders who are shaping India's future across sectors. If you also want to speak to the best minds in your field and build an enviable network, then you must consider becoming a podcaster. And the first step to becoming a podcaster starts with Zencaster, which takes care of all the nuts and bolts of podcasting, from remote recording to editing to distribution and finally monetization. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link zen.ai slash founder thesis that's zen.ai slash founder thesis